we live in an era where a lot of things are disappearing. A weird transitional moment in human history. Um, I know a lot of you in the room, uh, we date ourselves by acknowledging this, but a lot of us grew up obsessively looking through the Christmas catalogs that like JCPenney and Sears put out. Like, it was a day, like it was a day when that came in the mail, you know, when like the Christmas calendar came out, right? Or Christmas catalog, I mean. Um, it, it was a big deal. I mean, like it kick-started Christmas in your little heart as a kid because you started like aching for the Christmas morning because you were looking at all the toys you could buy and you're circling things and earmarking pages and stuff like that. Um, and, you know, those are gone now. Sears is gone. JCPenney is a shadow of its former self in many ways. And I remember at one point um, I came across like a YouTube compilation of old like commercials, like Christmas commercials from like when I was a kid, um, which I didn't realize how much that was like a part of getting in the Christmas spirit was like Christmas commercials because we lose a lot of that in like the world of streaming, you know. Um, and I something was about one of the catalogs, like it was like mentioned at the end of like an old J.C. Penney commercial, and I remember being a little sad, like oh my kids aren't gonna know that like excitement of getting that thing in the mail. And then a few years ago, like Walmart and Amazon now put out like so they're smaller, but there's, I'm just glad my kids get like a little taste of that, like, excitement. Um, now, again, I know it's all for marketing and to get you to spend more on Christmas, but um, even though I know both sides of it, I, I at least appreciate it a little bit. Um, one thing that was uh, in like the last year or so was I was sad when the Steak and Shake by Myers closed. Um, not because I'm like a diehard Steak and Shake guy necessarily, um, but it's the first restaurant I was taken to when I came here to preach my trial sermon. Um, like they took me to lunch out at that steak and shake, and so when it wasn't a steak and shake anymore, it's like, oh, that's, I can't go in there and like remember that, sit in the same seat, and it's like kind of bummed me out. Ironically, um, it was a place that used to cure hunger, and now it's going to be a place that causes it, um, <laughs> weirdly enough. Um, um, one of the ones, though, that uh, a loss, it's, so, it's still real fresh in my mind, is I just learned last week or so, in the last couple weeks, that Lincoln Christian University is closing. And I was so devastated by that news. I mean, that was always a possibility um, with their, like, they were headed that way from, um, they, they dealt for years with, like, some debt from some bad decisions, a lot of debt. Um, and, but, it, but I'm so heartbroken by that because like that was a place like my life changed forever it's where I met my wife like I have I owe like everything about where I am now I owe to being at, at Lincoln Christian University and it's sad knowing I can't go there I won't be able to go there anymore for various activities or uh, events and it's just sad that that's gone and it is it's just it's just going to be gone and you just kind of got to mourn those losses when those things leave, and they leave kind of a hole in your heart or in, um, you know, the needs that those places used to meet, uh, whatever it might be. And so as I'm kind of like processing that kind of, that loss, um, you know, one qu common question then comes to my mind is like, okay, what if our church disappeared? Like if it was just today we were done, would our communities miss us? Like would there be a hole left? Would they notice our absence? You know, you, you, the hope is 
that we've done so much um, loving on our community that even people who don't go to our church would notice the loss, that even people who aren't Christians would notice the loss. Like they might not know my name necessarily, but they'd, oh, the church used to do so much. I'm so sad that they were gone. That's the hope um, that, that there would be some sort of hole left behind if we were gone. Um, now, we're currently in the middle of a series called Life on Mission, and we're talking about um, how powerful the church can be when you have a group of believers who are committed to working together for the good of Jesus, for the work and the mission of Jesus in the world. Um, and the New Testament is very clear. Together, we become something that you can't be on your own. Um, you don't see any real lasting stories in the New Testament of an individual believer just living their life apart from a church. Every believer is, either is a part of a church or they're walking by themselves because they're going somewhere to plant a church. Like they're always um, with other believers. That's just a part of the Christian story. Um, and in the last few weeks, what we've been doing is we've been breaking down our church's mission statement to just kind of help us understand what it is we're here to do. What's the work that we're called together to do? And here's the mission statement of our church that we've been looking at. Loami Christian Church exists to connect people to Jesus, grow them in Jesus, and impact the world for Jesus. Uh, two weeks ago, we looked at the importance of doing the work of connecting people to Jesus, helping people see that they need to be saved by His grace. They need to put their faith, their trust, their allegiance in Jesus for the hope of their eternity and for the, the salvation of their souls. Um, last week, we looked at how every believer should be pursuing lifelong growth, lifelong maturity, that we should be progressing and changing and growing every day of following Jesus. Now today we're going to finish up this portion of the series um, by looking at the third part of our mission statement, which is making an impact. We are here to make an impact in the world for Jesus. Now it might not be the whole world, we might just be making an impact in our own little corner of the world, but as we've seen, we're, we're making a little bit of an impact in Myanmar, so that's kind of what we're here for. We're here to make an impact, to make a difference, to leave a mark on the world. That Again, that if we disappeared, something would be absent, something would be missing. The work that was getting done is suddenly no longer getting done. And one of the clearest commands throughout the Bible is that followers of God are to be servants. Jesus said, the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve. And then he tells his followers, Walk after me. Follow in my footsteps. You are to do the same thing. We are called to use whatever resources God gives us, our gifts, our passions, our money, our belongings, our time, whatever it is, we're to have this outward-focused um, desire to use whatever he's given us to bless other people, to serve other people. Um, now, we're going to go ahead and dive into a passage today where, uh, excuse me, one of the passages where the New Testament like kind of straight up, very clearly says that this is what Christians are called to do. It's in the book of Galatians, the New Testament book of Galatians, um, which isn't really a book. It's actually a letter. Um, a big chunk of the New Testament is letters written by a guy named Paul, who is a church planner and a pastor in the ancient Roman world in the first century. And he would travel to these cities where nobody had heard about Jesus. He would tell them about Jesus. And when they put their faith in Jesus, he would start a church for them to be believers, to walk this road of life together. And then he would move on to another city to plant a church. And he would often then write letters back to these uh, new little churches to give them guidance 
extra instruction because he probably didn't have time to teach him everything about how to live as a follower of Jesus. So he'd write these letters back. And sometimes he even in these letters would um, address an issue that was going on within the church. And the letter of Galatians is one of those times. They were dealing with an issue. What was going on is they had people coming into their church who were saying, hey, we're, we're for Jesus, great, great about Jesus, but if you really want to follow Jesus, you need to live as Jesus lived and be Jewish. So if you want to be a Christian, you got to be Jewish first. And they came into this church telling people that you need to follow all the Old Testament laws. You know, they, they would have to follow all the cleanliness laws of the washings and um, food preparation and all of that stuff, that they would have to um, do the animal sacrifices, um, that the Old Testament law required, that all the men who wanted to become Christians would first have to be circumcised, which was probably a deal breaker for a lot of them, and he had to go on. And so they were saying you had to do all of these rules if you want to be a Christian first. And um, Paul writes this letter trying to help them understand, no, Jesus perfectly held the law for us. He perfectly obeyed the law of God. He perfectly followed all the rules. He was perfectly righteous. We no longer as believers have to do those things in order to try to attain forgiveness, attain righteousness with God. Jesus secured a good relationship, a right relationship between us and the Father. And so we don't have to do that anymore. And then he also, knowing how people are, he writes a part of his book to say, okay, but now what's going to happen is some of you are going to be like, oh, I don't have to follow all the rules? Sweet. So that means there's no rules, and I can live however I want to live. Because he knows how humans, we like to swing from pendulum, or from one extreme on the pendulum to the other extreme. He knows that's how we are, and he knows some people are going to do that. And so he says, you cannot just go back to living a sinful life of selfish pleasure like you did before Jesus came into your life, just and say, well, God loves me, Jesus is going to forgive me, so I can do whatever I want. And at the end of the day, I ask forgiveness, and God's got to give it to me. He's like, no, that's not what you can do. And so Paul's trying to deal with this bad teaching that's come into the church, but also protect us from ourselves because he knows how we are. And so in Galatians chapter 6, verse 7 is where we're going to be. I'm going to read a few verses there. We'll start with verse 7. Galatians 6, 7. He says, do not be deceived. God is not mocked. Now you're like, okay, what does this have to do with serving? But he's going to get us there, okay? He takes us on a little journey first. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever one sows, that will he also reap. So he wants to make sure. He wants to be very clear. You cannot just live your life however you want and think, oh, I, I found a loophole. And if I just pray for forgiveness then God's got to let it go, and he's, I can do whatever I want. And at the end of the day, Jesus is going to forgive me because that was the other extreme that some people were uh, t- prone to swinging into is that, is that I can just sin and Jesus has to forgive me. And he says, no, just because you don't have to follow the Old Testament law doesn't mean it's fair game for you to do anything anymore because what Jesus did is even though he freed us from following the Old Testament law, he binds us to a law of love. A law to love and serve those around us. And so he says, you can't mock God by thinking you found some sort of sin loophole and you can live however you want. You actually have to follow in the footsteps of Jesus. You can't just flout God's sense of justice in his face and spit and insult God this way by thinking you can do whatever you want. Um, when I was in grade school, um, there was a kid in my class who just from the moment, like from day one of kindergarten was trouble. 
Um, and I went to school with this guy all the way through senior year of high school, and he never stopped being trouble. But like in elementary school, he was always trouble, always causing trouble, always starting fights, always insulting people, making fun of people, pushing people, you know, repping up your artwork on your desk or coloring. I mean, just anything you could think of, he did it. He was mean to everybody. Um, and um, he would get in a little bit of trouble, you know, here and there. But every time he got in trouble and um, he'd go home and tell mom what was happening or his parents got called, his mom would show up at the school and she would start chewing out somebody about how dare you be so mean to my sweet little angel. How dare you be mean to my little baby. He is perfect and wonderful and you guys have it out for him. And, and, and so even though he had like little punishments at school, you know, he missed a lot of recesses for the stuff he did. Overall, it seemed like he just got to go home and get off scot-free. And even as an elementary kid, like, that felt wrong. Like, there was no sense of justice. And we wouldn't have said, said it that way, but we all felt like there's, a, there's an injustice happening here. And so at one point, probably, I don't remember exactly when it was. My guess is around third grade. Um, a group of uh, those of us in our class had had enough, and we hatched a plan to finally dish out some justice on this kid. And so what happened was one day at recess... We had a, gr- a girl lure him to the top of the jungle gym. We had one of those big domed, you know, monkey bar things, right? And so a girl said she wanted to talk to him, so he went up there. And as he's, like, sitting on the monkey bars, right? Like, so you're sitting on the bar, your legs are dangling down. Just as he gets up there, um, myself and another kid ran in and grabbed and hung on his legs so that he couldn't move. And about that time, a few other kids in our class pulled up one of those 50-gallon trash cans that was full of all the balls we used for recess and stuff. And they just started picking him out and just pelting him because he couldn't move because we, we were hanging on his legs. He was stuck. And so they were just hammering him with basketballs, footballs, kickballs, soccer balls, whatever kind of ball they had. We were letting him have it, right? Now, the, the point of that story is um, not to say, you know, what we did was right. Uh, we got in trouble for it. Uh, obviously. Um, it was impressive. I don't know if they've ever had to punish so many kids at once for one thing like that, though. Um, so it was a little bit of an accomplishment in that respect. Um, so, but the point that I want to make is, if even a bunch of third graders can understand when justice is not being served, can understand when justice is being mocked that way, how much more does God have a sense of justice that he's not going to let us just slip through. He's going to make sure that justice is served. He's going to make sure that sin is dealt with. And so this is why Paul says, you will plant or you will you will harvest what you plant. You will reap what you sow. And if you are going to just walk a life of disobedience and destruction, then that is what you're going to get. Destruction is what you're going to harvest from that. But if you want to honestly serve God, then there you go. That's going to lead in a much better place. He goes on in the next verse, verse 8. He says, for the one who sows to his own flesh will reap from the flesh, or will from the flesh reap corruption, or destruction is another way to translate that word. He says, but the one who sows to the Spirit will reap from the Spirit eternal life. And so he's saying that followers of Jesus actually need to follow Jesus, that we live being led by the Spirit of Jesus or the Holy Spirit in our lives every single day. We walk this path bound by the law of love. And that we must live daily, or working to surrender our lives, to not do what we want to do, all the fun and pleasure and selfishness that we actually want to do most days, but we live saying, no, how does God want me to live? How does he want me to serve? How does he want me to help? How does he want me to give myself away the way Jesus gave himself away? 
And so Paul gives us um, some help and understanding in the next verse saying, here's what that's going to look like. If you are going to walk in the Spirit, you're not going to live selfishly, sin sinfully all the time, flouting, uh, making fun of the, uh, the, the justice of God, but instead you're going to be doing this. Verse 9, he says, And let us not grow weary of doing good, for in due season we will reap if we do not give up. So then, as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone, and especially to those who are of the household of faith. So we're to live good lives. And he says, and don't get tired of living a good life, because you might have a lot of years where you're called to live and serve and give and sacrifice. And, and uh, I love that he says, don't grow weary of it, because um, one thing that I see a lot, and this is just a common thing that a lot of Christians go through. If you've been living a season where you're trying to be faithful and you're trying to be um, a, a follower of Jesus who forgives and is gracious and all of that, and then inevitably what's going to happen is you're going to hit a painful season and life's just going to come through and punch you in the gut and it's going to be impossible and painful. And you're going to have this thought of, why have I been being good? I've been doing good. Why am I not receiving good from God? If I did all these good things, how come is my life still so painful and still so terrible? And it's such a common frustration that a lot of Christians run into. And that's why Paul says um, that if you stay doing good, he says, you will in due season, in the right time, you will reap if you do not give up. And he points our eyes to eternity. He points our eyes saying, your reward is not here. Your reward is in the next life. You do good now, and you serve now, and you don't expect an earthly reward now because you're investing in what comes next. And, and we get so frustrated sometimes that we, because we want life to reward us here and now. We want life to be good here and now. But to get mad about it would be like a farmer who plants his crops in the spring like normal and then goes out into his field in May mad that it's not ready to harvest. He walks in his field like, stupid corn. Why aren't you grown yet, you dumb corn? Well, it's not time yet. It's not the right time for the harvest. That's just not how it works. And the same is true with the rewards. Most of the rewards that we get come not in this life, but in the next. And so he says, get ready. Like, don't grow weary. This is a long road, that you're, a long race you're going to have to run of faithfulness, of sacrifice, of serving. That's the kind of life the Christian is called to live, giving our lives away to make a difference in the lives of other people, doing good. And then Paul says, with that in mind, as you have opportunity, as, as the chance comes your way, let us do good to everyone. Let us do good to everyone. Um, one thing that we don't catch, um, it's just, law, again, lost in translation as things often are, um, that word opportunity, um, the, the original word uh, that it was written in the Greek in the first century, it means a divinely appointed time or a proper, a special appointed time or season. What it, by using that word, what it's saying is that the opportunity that's going to come your way to serve, like you bump into somebody that has a need, it's saying that's not coincidence, that's not happenstance, that God has led you with the gifts, the abilities, and resources that you have to a situation or to a person's life at the right moment to meet their needs. That when you bump into these moments, God is saying, here's a chance for you to be who I made you to be. Here's a chance for you to fully live out the, 
the gifts I've given you, the personality I've given you. Here's a chance for you to stop being selfish and greedy and to actually start giving your life away the way your Savior did for you. And so those moments, those opportunities to serve, I think God leads us to those all the time. He leads us in a way, in the time, in the place, with the right giftings. He's shaped us in a certain way. He's given us the right uh, experiences in life that have molded us and formed us in some ways. And he brings us to these moments every single day where we can meet needs in ways that nobody else can. And he's saying, here's your chance to shine. Here's your chance to make a difference. Here's your chance to make an impact. And so, you know, maybe you... And it could come in a lot of different ways, okay? Like maybe you see uh, or come into somebody and run into somebody who needs help caring for an aging parent. And given the season of life that you're in, you've just got some extra time. And you can say, hey, a few nights a week, I can help you out and do that. I mean, because that kind of care is really expensive. And somebody, it, it might just be a financial burden. And you can come in and, and, again, meet that need. Maybe you learn of somebody who needs a place to stay for a while. And you think, well, we've got an extra bed. Or if we put the kids in a bunk beds in one room, we could have an extra bedroom set up. And we could do this. We could, we could provide them a place to stay for a while so they're not sleeping in their car. That's a way that you could meet a need. Um, maybe you're handy and can fix things in ways that some people can't. And you know a single mom whose appliance broke, and you could show up and save her a few hundred bucks by putting your skill to use. Um, maybe you've lived through a certain tragedy or difficulty in life. And then suddenly, by chance, by opportunity, by divinely given moment, you run into somebody who's going through that tragedy that you have already lived through and survived. And God might be putting you right there so that you can walk through that with them and show them that the sun can rise again, even when life gets dark. And so often, I think God places us and empowers us specifically to make a difference. And it's not coincidence, it's not chance, it's not accident. It's God giving you a chance to be who he made you to be. And then Paul adds one little qualifier to this whole thing. He says, do good to everyone. So everyone, I don't know if you know, but everyone in the original Greek also means everyone. It just means there's no distinctions, absolutely everybody. He says, but we definitely need to make sure that we're taking care of our church family. We definitely need to make sure that we are caring for those in our household of faith, in our church family, that we should make sure that as we go out and meet needs, as we're giving our lives away, that we haven't neglected some need that exists within the church family. And you got to think, that just makes sense, okay? Think of somebody who's passionate and gives all kinds of food and money to the food pantry while their own kids are sitting at home starving, like, it makes no sense. Like, why would we go looking for needs when there's people right sitting next to us today who are hurting? And so he says, make sure you are taking care of those in your church family. We see examples of this in Acts chapter 2 and Acts chapter 4, where the church, um, you see people devoting significant resources to making sure that not a single person in the entire church had a need. What an, imp what an impressive thing to say. What a, I mean... Imagine just being able to come in every Sunday and go, there's not one person in here who's suffering needlessly because we've, we've, everybody's got food, everybody's got a place to stay, everybody's got medicine, everybody's got everything they need that we can possibly help with. Now, it doesn't make all pain go away, but even the people who are suffering in, through difficult situations, you know, they've got somebody walking with them through it. There's no needs in our church family. What, a, what an amazing like, accomplishment that would be. And, and I think there are so many opportunities for you to serve right here with your church family. I think there are ways to give time and energy so that others can be blessed. Um, you know, some of you have natural 
gifts, natural tendencies. Some of you have spiritual gifts uh, that you've been given by God to make a difference with people here. Um, some of you um, have a, a more natural draw to, when we talk about the, the mission stuff and you think about people who live in places that are you know, less blessed than we are here and that your heart just aches for that. Maybe you've been to one of those countries and seen it firsthand, experienced it firsthand, and, and, and it, it just hurts. You just hurt for them. Um, some people don't. Some, some of us, we're like, that country far away is a country far away, and I'm going to walk out the church door, and I'm going to go back to my own life and my own problems. Well, if you have that part of your heart that aches for those people, we have a missions team that would probably love to have your support and have you kind of helping our church refocus our attention on those who have a need. Um, some of you have a natural ability to be hospitable. I was talking about this in our membership class this morning. I do not, do not have this gift. If you come to my house, whether you show up on my doorstep or whether I invited you and knew you were coming, I'm probably going to be unprepared. I just don't have the ability to, to do that. Some people just naturally, come on in. Here's some food. Make yourself at home. They can make you feel comfortable in any place that they invite you into. They just have a gift there. They can make you feel accepted and welcomed and relaxed in that. Do you know how many ways that can be used in a church family? It's talked about all the time through the New Testament. What a gift that is. Um, some of you have, again, like I mentioned, the natural ability to fix things that some people don't. Okay? And sometimes that's even a spiritual gift, to have this ability to sculpt and create things for the purpose of pointing people to God. Some of you have that ability that others don't. Man, you can make things work better, look better, and honor God in a way uh, that helps people help, or do things in a way that helps people not be distracted and keep their attention and focused on you. Like, for instance, if one of these lights started just like, you know, irritatingly, irregularly flashing one day, I have no idea what to do other than unscrew the bulb. That is like my last, that's all I know, that's my first course of action, and it's my last course of action. That's all I would know to do. Some of you would be like, oh, I, you would have like a list of things to try to figure out the problem. You would know where to go to get the replacements, and every, I, I, I'm just done with that. I don't know, okay? And so you have things that I don't have. You have gifts and abilities that others don't have, and God has put us all here mixed together as different people with different gifts, different experiences, different histories, so that we can all beautifully meet the needs that those around us cannot meet and meet the needs that are sitting next to us every single Sunday. Now, let me bring us back to that word opportunity. I want you to think about that, that every time you come in contact with a need that you have the ability to meet, that that's not an accident, that God chose you for that moment. And he said, he saw the need and he said, I know, I know the right person to send to that. And it was you. Like that changes your focus when you run into a need doesn't it? When God said, I thought of you, and I sent you to be the first one there to help that meet that need. What a like humbling, I mean, almost like a great, it adds a much greater sense of responsibility to that moment, because what we all tend to do is somebody else will take care of it. Somebody else will take care of it. And you know what? Yeah, maybe you're right. Maybe somebody else will come along and take care of it. But what about the fact that God put you there first? He gave you that opportunity to be a difference maker, to make a difference. And not only did God call you to do that, he created you with that in mind. He gifted you for that moment, for those instances when you can come along and make an impact in a way that no one else could. And so I think one of the reasons, um, or one of the best evidences of, of this is when it feels good to help people. Like, how weird is that? It just, like, there's something that happens in our hearts and in our souls 
when we do something good for somebody that just feels good and rewarding. It gives us the warm and fuzzies. I'll tell you what, I have never met anybody who said, ugh, I fed hungry people all day today. They were so grateful. Ugh, it was the worst. I've never, ever seen anybody do that before. It's always like, man, I had no idea that need was there. Oh, man, I'm so glad I could be a part of this. Like, there's always a humility and a gratitude that comes from those kinds of moments. And God um, built us to enjoy that. Another thing is that God also built us to feel pain when we see people hurting. When you think of that, like he, he built us to have this sense of empathy so that when we see somebody suffering, we go, it breaks our heart a little bit. Well, this empathy that we have that breaks our heart when we see people hurting and this joy that we can feel when we serve people, those are God's mo- naturally, natural motivating factors to get us out of our seats, to get us actually wanting to give and wanting to serve and wanting to help. It's like a built-in uh, reward system to get us going. And let me toss one more thing at you as we close, that God just doesn't put us here to meet needs, like earthly needs. Like he does. Like, I mean, that's part of it. Part of the work that we do as Christians is to, in our own way, combat the brokenness and chaos that is in our world through sin. We go and we kind of help try to put things back in order, put things back in their rightful place to restore peace and shalom where we go. That's part of meeting needs, right? But there's an extra layer to it. We're not just a social justice organization. No, we are called to be people that make an impact for Jesus. We want the name and the love and the rescuing mission of Jesus to be made known. And one of the most powerful ways we do that is by modeling that love every time we serve and give and sacrifice. So we don't want to just make a difference with people's earthly pains. We want to help lead them and change their eternal destiny. We want them to see the beauty of Jesus. And so anytime we do anything, whether you're out you know, cleaning up after a storm with people that you don't even know, that's a chance for you to somehow connect the dots and show them the love of God and point them to the love of Jesus. And, and we get to shine that everywhere we go. What an amazing joy this is. It should be a joy to be able to model the love of Jesus in a world where we're taught to be selfish and to think of no one but ourselves. We have a higher, more beautiful calling. Because the supreme need of humanity is not to have just their bellies filled and their uh, painful, temporary problems taken care of. The ultimate need of humanity is to have their sin forgiven and their brokenness healed. And fortunately, we get the chance to do all of those things. We get to meet the needs and point their point people to their greatest solution. And so let's come back to the question we started with. If Loami Christian Church disappeared, would anybody in our communities miss us? Would they notice that we were gone? And if we're being the church that we're supposed to be, if we as individuals and collectively as a body, if we appreciate that God has put us here to make a difference, he's gifted and shaped each one of us to serve in moments, that those, that those opportunities aren't accidents or happenstance, but that they are divinely appointed meetings for us to come and, and help people, if we appreciate that and we feel the responsibility of that and live that out, then absolutely people are going to miss us. Because there's so much flowing out from the walls of this place, from the hearts of the people in this church community, that when that, takes, when that goes away, it feels like a drought. It feels like a famine because the, the, the shining love and tangible gifts that, that are flowing out of this place dried up. And so this 
power that we have as believers to meet the needs, it's shown most fully when we appreciate it together, when we do this mission together. As a church family, we could do more in our world than any of us could ever do individually. That's just the truth of it. And it's not just like two plus two equals, or, or two plus two equals four. It's not that, boy, my math almost blanked out there for a minute. You know, maybe that's why Lincoln's not doing, maybe that's why they're closing. They didn't, I promise, I had a better education than that. But, but when we serve together, it's not just a, a, an addition situation where two people come together um, with two other people and they can now make the difference to four people. It's multiplication. Like two and two come together and can make the difference of like 50 people. Like it starts to grow exponentially as we work together. That's how the church operates. And we make more of a difference when we work together, not just individually. And so we need to ask ourselves, where can I serve? Where are needs that I can meet? Where has God empowered me to serve? And to just keep our eyes and ears open every single day to the needs we come across and think, is this one of those opportunities? This is one of those coincidences that God has brought me to, a moment where he has said, hey, here's a need, and I know the perfect person to meet that need, and he sends you in and lines your daily road up with somebody else's daily road so that you can be there to be the hands and feet of Jesus in that moment. Where can I serve? What needs can I meet? Because you were called, you were shaped, you were made, and you were placed to make an impact for Jesus. Let's pray. Father, we are so grateful that you would use us. I think so often we, uh, we underestimate what we can do. Uh, it's so easy for, for whatever reason for us to just think, oh, somebody else could do that better than me. Somebody else will come along. Somebody else will, will, will help. Um, but we have got to appreciate the craftsmanship of our great creator, that you did not make any mistakes, you have put us here for a purpose. You have led us through life circumstance after life circumstance to be shaped by those circumstances. You have given us spiritual gifts, and, and, and you've led us to these moments where all of that together makes us the perfect people to make a difference. And so I just pray that we would appreciate that and that we would honor your work in us by serving others, that like Jesus, we would be willing to serve wherever you lead us. We would be willing to make a difference. I pray that you would um, help us to have greater levels of empathy so that when we see needs that we can meet, like something like a, an alarm bell goes off in our heart, that we feel that, that pain that says, I can't just keep on walking and ignore this. I've got to do something. So help us, Lord, understand that you put us here to make an impact and to shine the light of Jesus. You put us here to be the hands and feet of Jesus. And just as Jesus walked around the first century world healing people, comforting people, bringing life where there was death, that you've given us that same opportunity to walk into our world and restore what has been broken by sin and corruption and evil and selfishness. And I just thank you for that chance. And I just pray that we would stop passing it off on some hypothetical somebody else but we'd actually own the responsibility you've given us to serve and give and be um, those who do your work. Thank you again. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.